I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Rays versus Dodgers in game three of the World Series tonight. Charlie Morton goes against Walker Bueller. Bueller. That series is tied 1-1, and now the Rays are the home team for the next three games. We'll get you ready for games Three, four, and five with Neil Solons, the Rays pre and post game host. And guess what? You won't have to wear out your TV remote on Sunday as the Bucks head to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders because it won't be a Sunday night football game on NBC that might conflict with the World Series. No, no, no. It'll be a 4.05 p.m. game on Fox. COVID 19 cases with the Raiders and their entire starting offensive line under quarantine is the reason. We'll tell you how all this will affect the game and break down the matchup. With John Gruden's team, we've got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, you know Breitling Boutique? Have you been there? It's an international plaza. Get this, it's one of only 15 in the United States. That's how lucky we are to have it. And now you've got to go check out these gorgeous Swiss timepieces. There's the Chronomat Bentley stainless steel, beautiful green face, one of my favorites. And in April, they launched the Super Ocean Heritage the 57 limited edition. Now, listen, they've welcomed championship quarterbacks, Hall of Famers, championship boxers as clients. But they treat everyone the same when you come in and try on these beautiful watches. Tell them that Rick Stroud sent you, and you will get a free $60 Breitling cap when you just try on one of their beautiful Breitling watches. You're probably going to walk out with both. That's Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. All right, Steve, we'll get to your interview here in just a minute with Neil Solons, the Rays pre- and post-game host, and talk World Series and the Rays and Dodgers. But first, a little bit of news. In fact, I was uh, prepared to hop on with you there with Neil, and then all of a sudden we had some some breaking news, and it turns out that uh, the Sunday night football game that the Bucs were supposed to play in Las Vegas against the Raiders, yeah, well, now it's a Sunday afternoon game. (laughs) It's not going to be on NBC it's been moved to Fox, and the NFL did that on Thursday afternoon for the express purpose is that, you know, the Raiders have all these tests now or at least, um, you know, players in, in uh, quarantine protocol in the, in the uh, reserve, on the reserve COVID list. And that's because uh, their entire starting offensive line is there. And it's, uh, you know, they've not been able to practice with those guys in particular now, from what I understand in, in the league statement, it sounds like they are pretty adamant about playing this game on Sunday. And, and of course, there's always the potential they could move it to later in the week if there's more cases or, um, you know, if they just need more time, maybe get some of those players back. But from what I understand, it, it just seems like the league is not happy with the Raiders. And, you know, look, COVID affects everybody. There's, there's only so much you can do, and, and a lot of this is, is unavoidable. We know that we know society is is um, is battling this, and so are the football players who are not in bubbles. But the Raiders are coming off a bye week, and you know the difficult thing for players is 
they're not supposed to really go anywhere. I mean, even during the bye weeks, you know, the, the Bucks had the mini bye week, if you will, after their Thursday night football game. You really got to kind of keep your sort of semi bubble clean, if you will. Um, you're not in a bubble, but you are sort of in an ecosystem, if you will, with your family. And and look, you know, it's going to happen. Kids are going to bring it home. You might be around family members that have it. Uh, that's a possibility. But in this case, um, you know, the league has installed all kinds of safeguards and cameras and everything else. And I think they are, are looking into the fact that many of these offensive linemen weren't wearing masks, weren't uh, observing the right protocol uh, necessarily in the meeting rooms. And so I think the league is going to take a, a less forgiving stance against the Raiders. If they have enough offensive linemen, they're not going to put Derek Carr in harm's way. Um, but if one position group isn't, isn't so decimated that they just can't put five or seven out there, um, that would be one thing. But as far as like waiting uh, or making sure they're all back or rescheduling the game, first of all, there hasn't been a game pushed back to a week 18 yet. And they're really trying to avoid that. We've seen games as late as Tuesday um, this year. I think the Bills and the Titans played um, earlier this month on a Tuesday because of all the COVID cases that the Titans had. The problem with the Raiders is they've had their bye week. This is when it occurred. And you can't push it to a bye week. You can't reschedule some teams and, and, and do some you know some fast maneuvering. So they really want to get this game in. And they had to move it because the NBC contract is one that uh, they couldn't get to Sunday night and then find out that, no, we can't play tonight. We're going to have to play on Monday. Uh, that just wouldn't work for the network. And so instead, the Sunday night football game on NBC will be uh, the Seattle at Arizona. As for the game itself, Steve, this is, and I think we talked a little bit about this. I mean, this is sort of John Gruden's biggest nightmare revenge game, right? This is this is Freddy Krueger and, uh, you know, one of those other monsters <laughs> that you can think of together uh, tagging up against him because, as we mentioned, you know, when he, see Tom, when he sees Tom Brady anytime on a football field, probably on camera uh, or socially or whatever, they might bump into each other. He can only think of one thing, and that's the tuck rule game, you know, uh, that AFC playoff game in the snow where the Raiders had it won and Charles Woodson made the strip and then they went back and reviewed it and said, no, it was, it was you know, there was a tuck rule. He was trying to put the ball away. It wasn't a fumble. And then, of course, Patriots went on to win. And frankly, I think the Raiders had a really good chance of going to the Super Bowl that year. Had they done that, maybe Al Davis isn't inclined to, to trade John Gruden. Um, maybe, you know, the Patriots don't go on and win that many, all those Super Bowls um, consecutive or, you know, throughout the years, who knows? But what happened was, of course, he ended up being traded and he got traded to the Bucks and the Bucks in his first year in 2002, won Super Bowl 37 against his former Raiders team. And the other thing that happened to John that was catastrophic in his career was he was fired by the team that he won a Super Bowl for, um, has a statue in the lobby has his name in the ring of honor. And yet, uh, with three years left on his contract, after going 9-7, and seven, one of only two winning seasons, uh, where there's only been two winning seasons since then, uh, the Bucks decided, because he missed the playoffs, to fire him. And John's never really gotten over that. <laughs> and so now he's back with the Raiders, who traded him. He used to be mad at them because they traded him. Uh, now he's back at the Raiders playing his former team uh, that he coached when he beat his other former team. So it's real confusing and and John was was kind of funny talking about it, but um, these are these are the the embodiments of 
of two of of his of his you know not so warm memories of his of his <laughs> career. Now, obviously, when he when he sees the Bucks and you know he can remember San Diego and Super Bowl thirty seven, all those guys are pretty much gone except the owners. Um, there's really you know there's no front office people or coaches or players around certainly, so it's a whole new organization. And John still lives in Tampa. Now, what do you suppose? After all the trials that he went through trying to get quarterbacks, you know, after Brad Johnson was gone, <laughs> whether it was Chris Sims or Jeff Garcia or, you know, Bruce Gradkowski and, you know, um, just, just all the guys, Sean King, all the guys that he had, what do you suppose his feeling is like? I tell you what, man, you got to be kidding me. You got Tom Brady as a Buccaneer. Are you kidding me? What the hell could we get this guy when I was there, for God's sakes? And and he would take Tom Brady at 43. It wouldn't matter to him at all because John He'd loves He'd take Tom Brady at everything. 63. He would. <laughs> You're exactly right. And might try. Might try to get him. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's just it's it's interesting to me, this whole game. And I had a chance to talk to uh, to Brady about it on um, on Thursday. It was my – I got – you know, it was his first question, actually. I just said, hey – you know, uh, you played. Obviously, Brady has played in in some of the the NFL's greatest games. I mean, you know, including nine Super Bowls, six of which he won, including dramatic comebacks against Atlanta, et cetera. And he lost some that were uh, equally dramatic against the Giants and the Eagles. But you know, I said for all those games, like where does the Tuck Rule game? <laughs> where does that where does that kind of fall into place for you? Because really, it, it it did you know sort of it was sort of the beginning um, of of the Patriots you know starting to roll and everything. Yeah, imagine if they and lose was, that game. Yeah, what happens in his career? What know. happens? Yeah, I don't know. You know, Belichick does Bledsoe you know. take back over? Does yeah? You know, I mean, all that is right. You don't know how it would have played out. Right. It was such a huge uh, springboard to you know into the Super Bowl that. Um, that it may it began the legend of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots and all of that and and so, um, you know and he and he laughed and he, he laughed hard because the question was like what you know have you ever has it ever come up I mean you know John did Monday Night Football for nine years I'm sure he did some Brady games and I'm sure he's been around him mm-hmm. in production meetings and Brady said well I, you know I've only been around him a few times and he goes we really don't talk about it all that much but he goes. You know, you got to remember who Charles Woodson was. You know, Charles Woodson was at Michigan when Brady was just this skinny little. Well, they came in freshman. together. They came in as freshmen together. They roomed together as freshmen. Mm-hmm. They were roommates. Yeah. And now Woodson's going to go in the Hall of Fame this year, and Brady's still playing. And Brady's still playing, but they, you know, obviously they're really good friends and former teammates and all of that. But Woodson was invested, if not more so, than John Gruden was on that play. And they don't talk about it a whole lot either because they're friends. <laughs> friends don't talk about <laughs> things that upset friends. Um, but it's real interesting that, you know, this game is the ultimate sort of avenge game or revenge game, I guess, um, if you're if you're John Gruden. And yet, um, man, I, just, I you know, he also was asked the other day, I think Jenna Laney of ESPN, we may have talked about this, and if we have, I'm repeating it anyway for those of you who didn't hear it. But Jenna Lane asked him about the tuck rule, and when he sees Brady, does he think about it? Ah, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think about it at all. And everybody kind of paused, and he goes, what would you think about it if you were me? <laughs> it's like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> so we all laughed, and uh, and then he, then he said, uh, I'll be honest with you, I think they spelled that rule wrong, if you know what I mean. 
It's like, oh, okay. Um, this is a family podcast. So uh, John's got that, you know, sort of under his set. But he's got bigger problems now because, you know, he's got to figure out who's going to play the offensive line and protect Derek Carr. Look, this is a good football team. The Raiders have a good football team. They're, they're, uh, they've got their three, three wins. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs, right, the only team to do so in like over a year. It was in Kansas City uh, too, I believe. It was in Kansas City, and they and they beat them soundly. And um, that was right before the bye week, so they went into it uh, with a lot of momentum, and and uh, they should be getting healthy. And um, you know, Derek Carr is having his best year, and uh, you know he, he's got a good offensive line. He's got uh, you know a really good running back in Josh Jacobs, and uh, a really fast receiver in Henry Ruggs, and a tremendous tight end. So um, they got some they got some pieces. Some really good pieces on offense, and John's John's a very good play caller. I mean, John uh, tries to be balanced, and um, he's not going to beat his head against the wall. So it's going to be ultimate, you know, sort of challenge for them to try to run against this Bucks defense is number one against the run. But his problem is his defense, you know, for the Raiders because they it, they're it's very odd they they've they score about thirty points a game, but they've also in three games have given up thirty plus points. So they're not they're you know. They're balanced that way, I guess, but not the way you want to be. They don't stop people, and they're going to have to stop the Bucks. Because I'll be honest, I don't see them scoring thirty against this defense. Not the way they're playing now. If they don't play well, that would be one thing. But everybody this week has been talking about you know trying to maintain the standard that they had against Aaron Rodgers, and, and Gruden was very impressed about that. The one thing John is is that he's a tape junkie, as you know. He's got the FFCA man. You got to come into my laboratory, you know. And he's got all these tapes, and so he watches tape, and, and he's put on that that Green Bay tape. And his thing was that you know he knows something about good defense because he had them here in Tampa. And he said we used to measure ourselves uh, whenever we would play those really good teams with the really good quarterbacks. Like how great can you be against the best quarterbacks in the game? Which you know, back in the day was you know Brett Favre and Kurt Warner and um, you know Rich Gannon and those guys. I mean, Gannon had the number one offense the year they won the Super Bowl and all that. So, you know, we know how good those defenses were. Well, we just saw, you know, Todd Bowles' defense take apart Aaron Rodgers in the Packers and, and did it, you know, convincingly. And, um, and Bowles, Bowles has got a – he's on a roll a little bit. You know, he's got a little momentum. He's got, he's got a great scheme. His players are all buying in. Everybody's having success. The secondary grew up. Got two of the best inside linebackers on the planet and Devin White and Levante David. And – um you know, and those guys are feeling themselves a little bit. So John knows he has his hands full and uh, and having to deal with COVID and the uncertainty of just, you know, even if he gets his players back, right, they haven't practiced, you know. And, and even though you say, well, they're offensive linemen, how hard could it be? Well, there's a new game plan and new personnel that you have to adjust to. And with the multitude of looks that Todd Bowles gives you, would you want to be an offensive lineman that has seen that for the first time on grass? It's one thing to do the Zoom meetings and all of that and show them on film, but you want to be able to, you know, do the scout squad and actually feel and sort of get a three-dimensional look at what it's like. And they're not going to have that advantage, you know, unless they can get back in the building here pretty quick. So um, it's going to be an interesting game if they play it, whenever they play it. And uh, I hope I'm not like Nicolas Cage and, you know, <laughs> leaving Las Vegas. I'm stuck out there or something like that. But, <laughs> um, but who knows? I'm trying to figure out, like, when am I going? Because I was supposed to go on Saturday uh, for a Sunday night game. I thought about going Sunday. It was a good thing I didn't do that. I was going to go out there the day of. Um, 
but anyway, that's those are minor problems compared to what's going on. But uh, but yeah, so should be a great game, uh, if and when they play it. And and for my money, I I just I get the feeling that this is going to get pushed back to one of those Monday you know five o'clock deals, which would be what two in the afternoon in Las Vegas. But it doesn't matter. See, this is the other thing. It doesn't matter. Travel matters for travel and stuff for the Bucks, and they got to make a lot of arrangements and adjustments in their schedule. But they can't. There's no fans at Allegiant Stadium, that new stadium they have out there. So. Um, from that standpoint, I don't know about, you know, plenty of hotels, <laughs> plenty of hotel rooms out in Las Vegas, probably sitting empty right now or mostly empty. So should be, uh, should be interesting to see what happens over these next few days. And for that matter, you can go to tampabay.com. We're constantly updating uh, our story, uh, on this schedule change in Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay times. Uh, and you can read about it, uh, of course, heading into the weekend and read about John Gruden's nightmare. That's, uh, that's, that's going to be right front and center. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. All right, Neil Solhans joins us now, host of the Rays pregame and postgame report. And I know you have hour-long pregame shows heading into the World Series now. And, uh, Neil, before we get to what's ahead this weekend, we've got three games this weekend, uh, tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday night. Uh, Let's take a look back at the first two games. And I think, to a point, it kind of went a little bit to script. Maybe not exactly, but the Rays have always struggled against tough left-handed aces. They struggled mm-hmm. against Kershaw in game one. They started hitting off the bullpen. A great defensive play by Victor Gonzalez kind of ended a rally they had later in the game, although they gave up too many runs. Uh, Glass now, maybe they left him in a little too long. Um, I tend to think they did. I, I think you'd probably disagree with me on that one, um, probably to save the bullpen more than anything. But then game two, the Dodgers throw a bullpen day, and the Rays start hitting, including Brendan Lau, who has been pretty cold this postseason. He gets two home runs. And so the series is now even at a game apiece. Is that kind of how you saw the script going? You know, I wasn't quite sure how I saw it in my head coming in. I just knew the Dodgers were going to be really a really tough opponent, Steve. You know, because, I mean, I know he he didn't pitch incredibly well um, in the CS, and that's Clayton Kershaw, and he definitely did not look like a guy who didn't pitch great, at least number-wise, in the league championship series, um, he looked on his game because I was wondering about how his back was going to be. So I really didn't have a feel for how game one was going to go. Um, you know, but watching game one, you know, I obviously was, you know, I had heard and watched on television, but seeing the at-bats in person here in Arlington, I was really impressed just with how the Dodgers carried themselves. And I can see how their lineup is a bit ahead of the Yankees and the Astros for different reasons. Um, so that said, you know, when game one ended, um, I think I said on our post game show, if the Rays are going to win this game and, and the Dodgers are going to run a bullpen day, then the Rays need to score early and force the Dodgers to use the bullpen the way they want to, not the way, you know, the way they have to, not the way they want to, which meant that, uh, Julio Urias will, you know, will start a game instead of pitching in relief in that contest. And, you know, you didn't have to see Blake Trinan, you didn't have to see Gratterall, you didn't have to see Kenley Jansen. So you didn't get to see any of the A bullpen. 
because you took the early lead and controlled the game. And, and to me, that was the story in game two. Um, you know, in terms of, um, and we can get into this, the Glassnail thing, I, I actually blogged about it um, on uh, on the off day Thursday, and I didn't think it was, under the circumstances, I thought it was fairly consistent with what Kevin Cash has done, aside from the fact that he went maybe a few pitches longer, but most of it really was, was very similar to his normal thinking. Well, and it, it helped, too, in Game 2, where Blake Snell, for the first four innings particularly, was absolutely lights out. Got away from him in the fifth inning with some walks, and, and they had to pull him before he got through that fifth inning. But those first four innings through that Dodgers lineup with eight strikeouts in those four innings, that was impressive. It, it was. I mean, and he's two outs in the fifth with a 5 nothing lead, too. And at that point, I'm thinking, boy, he can get through six, and they might be able to use the bullpen a little bit easier than, than maybe not. And then the walk that occurred to Kike Hernandez – kind of set everything in motion um, because I think he was a little upset a couple ball strikes calls in that sequence um, and then the home run followed and then a walk and a hit and all of a sudden the tying runs on base and you go from Blake Snell hey maybe you can go six solid or maybe even a little more than that to yeah he didn't last the fifth inning he certainly did set the tone for the game um, and it helped that there was an off day on Thursday um, but that certainly changed, uh, you know, the way that Kevin Cash, you know, he still used his A bullpen, but I'm sure he would have liked to use them a little less than he did in the in the ball game on uh, Wednesday in Game Two. Well, we'll stay with pitching, and tonight uh, I think it's a great matchup. Walker Bueller, probably their best pitcher this season, against Charlie Morton, who has been absolutely lights out this postseason. So, what do you expect for Game Three tonight? Um, you know, I think that. You know, Charlie's always been good in the postseason, but to me, this is the ultimate test because, um, you know, in contrast to some of the lineups that he's faced before, this is much more balanced in terms of not only do they have a lot of guys who can hit homers, um, not only do they have guys who accept walks, but they have a fair amount of left-handers in addition to right-handers in the lineup. You know, and I, and I think that makes them incredibly tough and difficult to handle. Um, you know, and on the other side, um, you know, I think that one thing that we haven't seen in the first couple games is Randy Rosarena uh, get fastballs. Um, they have, you know, and, and they've really pitched around him. And I get a feeling that Walker Bueller with his big fastball is going to challenge Randy. And that's probably that and the fact that Brandon Lau was able to kind of get his mojo back are two things that I really look forward to as to how those guys are going to be able to handle Walker Buehler's fastball and how often they get the opportunity to hit it. Uh, we'll continue with the pitching just for the weekend and, and knowing that we have three games before our next podcast. But Saturday night, you've got Julio Urias going for the Dodgers. I'm assuming it's probably an opener, and then maybe it's Yarborough, maybe it's Fleming, mm-hmm. somebody else going for the Rays in Game 4. And then I would assume Friday it's or Sunday, I mean, it's going to be Kershaw against Glasnow again. That, that's what I would think. You know, um, listening to Kevin Cash's last uh, Zoom on the on the media workday um, or the off day for the teams, you know, he said that Yarborough will hold a, a major role in Game Four, but they hadn't decided. You know, you know, it'll be determined by how the bullpen shape is after Game Three. Um, you know, certainly there are a lot of guys they could use in those spots. They could use Ryan Thompson, John Curtis, even a Pete Fairbanks as an opener to try and set things up and make it a little more complicated as to how the Dodgers decide to put out their lineup. Um, and yeah, Glassnow, Kershaw, 
the rematch uh, should be really good. And I'm kind of curious, you know, can Clayton Kershaw, you know, his, I think he's been maligned probably a little unfairly so because I, I saw mm-hmm. a, a number about how many inherited runners have scored in his World Series starts. Um, but I'm kind of curious if the Rays get to see him a second time within a series. Um, are they going to be able to have a better game plan? Are they going to be able to be more prepared? Um, are they going to be able to be more productive against them? You know, those are the kind of things that I look forward to. And, and, and on the other side, is Tyler Glasnow able to pound the strikes on a little bit more after watching what, you know, Blake Snell did the first four innings against the Dodgers? Well, in game one, too, I mean, Clayton Kershaw had great stuff. And, you know, he's a great mm-hmm. pitcher. And, and, yeah, his postseasons maybe haven't been quite what he would like them to be. But I think there was a lot of other factors that went into game one as too, as well. The Rays were in a new ballpark they've never played in before. They were playing in front of fans for the first time uh-huh. all season long. The Dodgers, who have been in that park for you know several weeks now and have played in front of some fans, and then the lights of the World Series. I mean, much of this Dodgers team have been to the World Series. This is the third time in four seasons. Outside Charlie Morton, I don't think there's a Ray who's been to the World Series before. And, no, you're right. You know, there, you're, ha- there hasn't been a single one. Right. And, and and I think most of the players, um, you know, did touch on the fact that, you know, I think Joey Wendell said before game two, you know, we'd be lying if we said this felt like it, that game one felt like a normal game. But that said, we got game one in our belt and, and now we know what to expect and we're going to be fine. Um, and we just need to go out there and play our game. And they did. And Joey actually was a really big part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought he had a really good game with the two run double and the sack fly. He had the only hit for either team with runners in scoring position in that contest. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, getting accustomed to the surroundings will help. I also think the off day on Thursday will help mm-hmm. because to have gone to the limit back-to-back series, five games, seven games, and playing 12 games in 13 days, is I think it's more of a toll emotionally than it, and mentally than it is physically. Um, and I think the mental break on after game two will help the race a lot um, for this World Series and, and going forward in this stretch. After game one, uh, Rick and I were both uh, kind of in agreement on Brendan Lau was really scuffling. Uh, I think Rick went as far to say as he maybe should be benched. I didn't <laughs> like, I, I thought maybe move down in the order, particularly on game one against Kershaw, a tough lefty. I didn't like leaving him in the two hole at that point. Um, I, I could see it going you know, against the, the bullpen day on, on game two, but... Boy, he kind of busted out with two home runs, two opposite field shots. I believe he's the first guy to hit two opposite field home runs in the same World Series game ever, uh, or at least since hmm. they've tracked that kind of stuff. Um, but is, is that a sign he's heating up, or, or, or what do you give credit that to? I, I definitely do. Um, and the day before in game one, he did not miss Kershaw by much. He mm-hmm. had three pop-ups in that game, and and they were hit a mile high. And usually for me... Um, you know, you date back to even a, like a Carlos Pena when a, when a home run hitter, um, starts kind of getting his way out of a slump, usually you see more balls in the air and that's kind of what we were waiting for. Um, but then the next day I, you know, he took two fastballs where they were pitched. You know, it was a three one, um, that he got from, uh, Gonsolin and then it was Dustin May who has really good velocity that he got the second time and, Brandon has always been a really good fastball hitter. Um, so it was good to see him get in good fastball counts. Um, 
and I think, you know, um, the, the Zoom on Thursday with Willie Adamas, he said how much, um, you know, Brandon having success uh, can trickle down to the group um, and, and how much it can help relax guys. So if Brandon can keep us up, you know, I think the look of their lineup changes immensely and obviously would be a huge, huge boost in trying to beat the Dodgers. Well, and I, th- I think you even saw some of the game, too. I mean, Willie Adamas gets a hit late in the game. Randy Rosarina got his first World Series hit, and you kind of saw relief on their faces of, okay, I got my first World Series hit now. Now I can just go play, it almost looked like, on their face. I, I definitely feel that. Um, I definitely think that, you know, uh, Willie Adamas was, I, I think I asked him something about the impact he can have, and he said, of course, you know, Brandon's impact in the trickle down. He said, then I got my first hit, and... Uh, he he uh, he gave a let's bleep and go uh, when he got in the dugout to to Brandon. He actually used those. He he actually said the words uh, in the uh, in the Zoom call, and then went, "Oops, sorry, I got a little excited about that." But that gives you the the uh, a look inside as to what Brandon's imca- impact can have on the group. That um, he dropped an f bomb in the middle of. Uh, of of a Zoom call because you know he still was going back in his head to how excited he was to see Brandon getting it going and what that means to the team. Well, you brought up Joey Wendell, and not only has his bat been timely for a lot of this postseason, but man, has his defense at third base been really good? Yeah, they can't take him off that spot. Um, you know, I I think that against the teams that they're facing you can't afford to give up extra outs. And for the most part, in the wild card series, the division series, the championship series, and maybe one play in the World Series, the defense has been really, really good. Um, and it's everywhere that they make plays. But I think as it, as good as, you know, Willie Adamas has been really sharp at shortstop. He has struggled offensively, but it hasn't affected his defense. Mm-hmm. And Joey Wendell has played a superior third base. I mean, I think Dusty Baker in the LCS compared him to Greg Nettles and Brooks Robinson in the World Series. That's some pretty high praise. And when Joey was told about that, you almost could see him blushing on the Zoom call uh, when he heard those words. Um, but he really does take pride in his defense. And I think people forget sometimes how athletic he is and what a good defender is because he missed time last year due to injury. Well, the defense this postseason you've talked about, I mean, whether it's Kevin Kiermeyer, Manuel Margot, Joey Wendell, G-Man Choi's made some great picks at first base, Hunter Renfro in the outfield, Mike Zanino behind the plate has been fantastic. I mean, is this the best defensive team the Rays have ever had? It's certainly up there. Um, you know, and, and then the, the neat thing they can do is, you know, I think Randy Rosarena is mm-hmm. is a very solid defender, but they can bring in Brett Phillips as they did in Game 2 of the World Series off the bench and make themselves even better defensively. Um, and I think, you know, what's impressive about the group is, look, not a lot of, a lot of guys have hit in this, in this playoff, in this postseason, um, but nobody has let it impact their defense. Brandon Lau has played a really good second base. Willie Dumbs played a really good shortstop. Um, those are two guys up the middle who, you know, um, you know, they've had five for 40, six for 50 stretches, um, but they're still playing sound defense. And to me, it, it takes a special individual to be able to separate the two and not let it impact them mentally. And I think that's a big reason they're in the World Series right now because, you know, there's an understanding about, um, you know, how what what it takes to be a winner. And, and I think that's what this group has. 
Well, we know Zanino, with the exception of maybe, uh, what was it, game six against the Astros, um, has had a really great playoffs defensively. Uh, struggled a little bit that game, but he's had some timely power on offense this year, too, which we haven't seen for the last two regular seasons. No, you know, watching him in summer camp, I really thought he was going to figure it out. And then he struggled. And it's almost like he got a mental reset with the oblique strain he, he suffered near the end of the regular season. And, you know, since that point, you know, he's been really dangerous. Um, you know, he certainly hasn't hit for a high average, but boy, he's made his hits count. They've come up at big times. And I just have liked the quality of the at-bats. I think in Tuesday in the World Series game, um, he had another ground ball at 107 miles an hour off the bat. And we're just seeing really good, solid contact. Um, and I think he's done a decent job cutting down on the strikeouts. Certainly, he'd like to cut them down further. But man, when he makes good contact, it goes a long way. It really does. And then speaking of good contact, we can't we can't go a, a, a interview about the race postseason without talking about Randy Arazarina. He didn't make the club out of spring training or was not going to make it out of spring training. He then has COVID as we return to play and go through summer camp and that. So he's not on the roster. He goes to the alternative site. And he comes up in, in late August, and, man, what a postseason he's having. He's already tied Derek Jeter for the most hits by a rookie in the postseason. Uh, he's got many other records from total bases by rookies, et cetera, and he's now approaching just pure records in the postseason, not just rookie records. How surprising and how good has has he been? Well, how good, it's it's hard to find words. How surprising, um, I think the Rays knew that they had a guy they thought was a special talent, but even you know, to a man, no one's saying, hey, we expected this, um, especially this year. Um, you know, there were, um, there was a strong belief that when he was acquired, he was going to be a good everyday or a very good potentially everyday big leaguer, but nobody thought it would happen before, um, his rookie year actually starts because he'll actually qualify next year as a rookie still because he didn't play in enough games, um, which is amazing. He could, you know, he might be, he'll be the first, he could be the first guy to win the league championship series and then win a rookie of the year. Um, so he's certainly going to be near the top of the list in that regard, um, in terms of candidates next year. Um, but I, I think his ability to adjust at the plate is what has impressed me the most, Steve. Um, he does it in a really impressive way. Um, and he, you know, he, from pitch to pitch, from at bat to at bat, um, even when he's making outs, there's still a fair amount of loud contact and that's not easy to do. Well, and it's really not easy to do when you don't have many other guys in the lineup hitting around you. I mean, Essentially, he's kind of done this unprotected in the lineup as well. Yeah, we've been surprised constantly at how many teams have pitched to them, him. And that's why I think Brandon Lau homering twice in, in Tuesday's game could go a long way to helping Brandon because, or rather helping Randy because he walked three times in the first two games, including once intentionally. And you could clearly see at some points they were pitching around him. Um, that may be more difficult if Brandon and or Yandy Diaz or Austin Meadows, and they both did get on base in the, the last game. If both those guys get hot, again, it, it makes it a whole lot easier for you know the, everything to kind of trickle through the rest of that lineup. We'll end on this as far as the team goes, and really the strength of this team outside the defense as well. And the one area I believe they really have a distinct advantage over the Dodgers is the bullpen. Um, I, I think the Dodgers have better starting pitchers overall, the, the way they've pitched this year. I think their lineup's a lot thicker, of course. Um, although, you know, the Rays is, is, you know, 
Eric Neander and them talk about is, look, we can't match a lot of lineups one through four, but it's five through 40 on the roster that we try to match up and, and find advantages. But this bullpen, they have different arms and different angles, and they come at you in so many different ways. Um, it's really hard for these lineups, particularly the Dodgers who don't see the Rays very often and you know didn't play them at all this year. That's, that's tough. to. I mean, this bullpen, is it the best bullpen in baseball? Um, it's, there aren't many that have been better. And, you know, the crazy thing about it is, and I've done several interviews for our pregame show, is how many guys they're missing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you forget how good Jalen Beeks was back in July and, 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 uh, the Mm -hmm. start of the season. And you forget about Colin Poche's injury and Andrew Kittredge, who is really starting to go well. And then you got Chaz Rowe and Oliver Drake got hurt again. Um, after getting injured once. I mean, and then Brendan McKay and Yanni Chirinos. And you can make a strong argument that those seven might replace the bottom seven players on your playoff roster. And then how deep does the bullpen look? But, I mean, so many guys have stepped up, and it's not only the big three of Anderson, Fairbanks, and Castillo. Um, it's the fact that, um, you know, guys do whatever they need to do. You know, if Aaron Slagers, who's not on the World Series roster, needs to go two-plus innings in Game 6 of the ALCS to make sure that the rest of the bullpen gets rested the next day. He does it. And I think that's why this group has been so successful, especially out of the bullpen, and why that can be an edge, is that they're accustomed to any role at any time, and they'll do anything to get the big out when they need to. All right, and finally on this one, you are in Arlington for the World Series. That's a brand-new park there that they've just built, despite the 20-year park next door that seemed to be okay. But uh, how is the ballpark, and what's it like playing in front of fans for the first time this season? You know, playing in front of fans is um, refreshing, weird, scary, probably all at the same time, Um, you know, knowing – you know, that you're still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, it is refreshing in that, you know, it, it makes everything feel that much more real and that much more back to normal, even if the stadium's, you know, um, 20% full or, or thereabouts. Um, you know, I think that um, the stadium itself, I think, has great acoustics. If the uh, Rangers become really good again, um, it's going to be a really tough place to play um, because even with a quarter full, um, or less, it sounds like a whole lot more than that. Um, so, you know, I think it's a it's a really nice park. It's a really good vantage point from which to watch the game. Um, and it's probably been a whole lot of fun just being here and being part of the World Series coverage. He's Neil Solans, the pre- and post-game host of the Rays Radio Network. You can hear him for hour-long pre-game shows in the World Series. So starting at 7 o'clock the next three nights, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, leading into games 3, 4, and 5 of the World Series. And maybe by Sunday night, the Rays could be World Series champions, Neil? That would be um, tremendous. Uh, I know that all of Tampa Bay would cherish that. And I know there are a lot of people outside Tampa Bay who would cherish that, too. So... One at a time, let's hope they can just take their first, it would be their first ever World Series lead um, in terms of games if they can just win on Friday. So let's take that step first and then see how it goes. Well, as I mentioned last night on the podcast, uh, enjoy this Rays fans. That win on Wednesday night was just your second ever World Series victory as a franchise. So it doesn't happen very often, and so enjoy them and and soak it in because you never know what's going to happen the next game or the next year or the next series. So. There's no guarantees. We all know that, and there are a lot of good teams in the game right now, as we saw with Houston and New York in the 
previous rounds of the playoffs, you know, to, to be the one of the last two standing is, is you should never be taken for granted. He's Neil Solons, host of the Rays pre- and post-game shows. Catch him this weekend, and hopefully, uh, if needed, next Tuesday and Wednesday as well before Game 6 and 7. Thank you for joining us, Neil. Thanks, Steve. Should be a great uh, weekend, of course. Lots of sports, not just the Rays games, 3, 4, and 5 that we have. we got the Bucks and the Raiders on Sunday as we, as we do this podcast. We'll certainly check and make sure you guys know when this game is. could be Monday, who knows. Uh, but right now, Sunday at 4.05. Um, tonight, USF is hosting hosting Tulsa in a college football game. USF, maybe with one more opponent, they have a chance, a chance at least, to take down. College football, of course, the Big Ten is back this weekend. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to see the Michigans and the Ohio States and the Wisconsin's. It's going to feel uh, even more complete uh, to me in college football. The Rowdies, they are in uh, the postseason. They are going to Louisville for their um, USL, is it what, semifinals? The semifinals, yeah, they're in the final four yeah. of the, the league. So Right. So they, you know, we're just, it, we're, of course, it's Title Town, as you know. So Champa Bay, Champa Bay, I love it. Did you? You should. I hope you branded that. No, that's uh, people have already been using that, but ah, I love it, Champa Bay. It's fantastic. And speaking of champions, they're going to crown a champion at the Grand Prix of Saint Petersburg. If that's not enough for to keep you occupied, then I don't know what will, folks. It's a sports. Uh, what would you call it? Smorgasbord. A, a smorgasbord. Yeah, something like that. A buffet. A sports buffet here in Champa Bay. Well, you're gonna need, you're gonna need a nice watch to keep track of time for all this stuff, right? You are, you are, because you're gonna get the starting times to all these games, and you're gonna make sure you get you got to know when when things are coming on, and that so that's called a segue in radio, and it's a damn good one. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna send you over to Brightling Boutique. You need to get by International Plaza and see this beautiful store. There's only 15 in the U.S. That's how lucky you are that it's right there in International Plaza. You can check out. They're gorgeous Swiss timepieces. I mean, they have uh, the most beautiful watches in the world, the Chromamat Bentley, uh, the Super Ocean Heritage, 57 Limited Edition. I mean, all these. Now, here's the thing. Um, you, you, you know, you're, you're pretty famous people go in there, too. Uh, athletes, uh, they, you know, they've got clients that are Hall of Famers and boxers and everything else. But if you go in there and you say, you know what, I want to try on one of these beautiful Breitling watches, just try one on. You probably walk out with it because it's so beautiful after you pay for it, of course. But if you just try one on, uh, even if you want to come back and pick it up later, here's what you're going to do. Tell them that uh, me and Steve sent you from the uh, Sports Day Tampa Bay podcast, and they're going to give you a free $60 Breitling cap. This thing is really nice uh, just for trying on one of their Breitling watches. So that's Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. Make sure you told them that Rick and Steve sent you. So, for Steve Ersnick, Emmerich Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.